Psalm 41 is the last psalm in book one of the Psalms. Therefore, it's the last psalm of this first part of our series through all 150 psalms, and then we will take a break. So in case anybody is wondering what's happening next week, we're not studying Psalm 42 on Easter Sunday. We are studying the book of Philippians, and we will consider the significance of Jesus' resurrection from the dead from the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. So you can be reading this week, preparing in your heart, read the entire letter, it's four chapters. I commend that exercise before Easter Sunday. My children asked me this morning, Dad, it's Palm Sunday. Are you going to do a different message for Palm Sunday so we can think about Jesus' triumphal entry on the last week of his life before he died on the cross? Answer, no, children. I'm preaching book one of the Psalms. I'm going to do Psalm 41 today. So does that mean that the Christian calendar is not relevant at all? No, I think it's actually very important for some of us to consider the flow and rhythm of time, sacred time as it's sometimes called, and the way that you orient your life around the Christmas season, and then the Epiphany, and then Lent, and then Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, and then Ascension Sunday. Amen? Ascension Sunday? And then the day of Pentecost. These things are really helpful and fruitful. At the same time, I would like to propose to you an argument. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Therefore, any passage of Scripture in the Old or New Testament should drive us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's argument number one. Argument number two, Psalm 41 is directly related to the last week of Jesus. Therefore, we do not have to change the sermon series on this particular Sunday as it just so happens that we're in Psalm 41. We can continue to just work through God's word and let God set the agenda for our church. And it just so happens that at times it will beautifully melt together where Christian time in the calendar of the year corresponds with where we're at in Psalm 41. I did not plan that we would be at Psalm 41 back in June of 2021 when we started this sermon series, in case you were wondering. It just so happens to work out that Jesus, as he is being betrayed by Judas, quotes Psalm 41. So we will read Psalm 41, we will understand Psalm 41, and we will apply it to the person and work of Jesus in the final days of his life on Passion Week and see if this is not a fitting psalm for Palm Sunday. Those are my two arguments. You will be the judge as to whether or not I'm forcing Jesus into Psalm 41 or if it just flows out of the scriptures. Let's read God's word together. Psalm 41, starting with verse 1, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, 
He utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity when he goes out. He tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. By this, I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The big idea of Psalm 41 in one sentence is that because God's king is merciful to the poor, he will receive mercy when he is poor. I've taken the big idea from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, so it should maybe sound like a familiar phrase. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I believe that theme summarizes Psalm 41, but I wanted to add a few details. So therefore, taking Matthew 5, 7 and adding in these words, our big idea is because God's king is merciful to the poor, he will receive mercy when he is poor. The outline of the psalm is very simple. Verses 1 through 3 talk about how God's king is merciful to the poor. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. See that right in verse 1. So verses 1 through 3 is about this idea of considering the poor and the mercy that one would show to the poor. And more specifically, I will argue the king of Israel, God's king who is merciful to the poor. Then you'll notice the the shift from verses 4 to 10. And that shift turns from a statement about the blessed man, the blessed king, to a prayer, a prayer of lament, a prayer for help. As David himself finds himself on a sickbed, and now he's the one who is poor, and he is turning to the Lord and asking for God's salvation, deliverance, help. Because of his sin, because of his sickness, and because of those who are sinning against him. That triad of his state of poverty. So he has a posture toward the the poor in verses 1 through 3, but then he has in verses 4 to 10 a position of poverty. And then the psalm concludes in verses 11 and 12, not 13, just to clarify. Verse 13, I believe, is a doxology that ends the entire first book of the psalm. So Psalm 41 really ends in verse 12. Verse 13 is an add-on doxology for the entire collection of Psalms in Psalms 1 to 41. So verses 11 and 12, the last part, tells us about the king's confidence in God's deliverance out of his state of poverty. And that would be the way I would break down this psalm. So let's argue the case that this is about God's king and his mercy to the poor And that when he finds himself poor, he knows and can trust that God will be merciful to him. I hope that's easy enough to follow. Let's work through it. See for yourself. 
and test whether or not this is an accurate depiction of Psalm 41. Verse 1 begins this way, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Asherah, that's the word blessed. It means happiness. Happiness not dependent upon circumstances. Deep and abiding joy in every season of life. Satisfaction, contentment, the good life. My friends, I don't care who you are. I promise you this is what you want. This is what you are chasing. This is the question that you are wanting in terms of how can I get that blessedness? This word, blessedness, appears at very strategic locations throughout the Psalms. And although I'm not going to go through all of them, I will go through just one significant place where the word blessed appears. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the sinners. Let's just actually read the verse so I don't mess up my scripture memory. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verse 1, begins with blessed. The last psalm of this first collection, Psalm 41, begins with blessed. Psalm 2 ends with blessed. Read the last verse of Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in him. You can go back and listen to the fuller argument, but in terms of cliff notes, back in June, I argued when we started this sermon series that Psalm 1 and 2 are one psalm that makes one point together. The man who is blessed in Psalm 1 is the king who is anointed in Psalm 2. They are the same person. And I explained that argument in fuller detail in the second sermon in this sermon series that we're in right now. So you can go back and listen to it. But I just want to highlight that point. The blessed man of Psalm 1, the one who does not go the way of the wicked, but the one who delights himself in the law of the Lord meditates on it day and night his ways will prosper and that one is none other than the king who's anointed in psalm 2 blessed is how psalm 1 begins blessed is how psalm 2 ends and they create two doors to the rest of the psalter all 150 psalms two doors psalm 1 psalm 2 open up for you the themes for the rest of psalms so is it any coincidence that when you get to the bookend of the first book that the first word of Psalm 41 is blessed. I think not. I think that's intentional. It's deliberate. Psalm 1 is the man who is blessed for delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. He is the same man who is the anointed king. Therefore, I would suggest to you that because it says in Psalm 41, a psalm of David, that it is not just by David, but it is about David, the king. And what's my argument? That the psalm that we are reading, Psalm 41, is about God's king, David, being merciful to the poor. Blessed is the one, not just anyone, blessed is the king who is merciful to the poor, who considers the poor. Considers is the Hebrew word maskil, and it is the word that is used to describe somebody who gains insight, wisdom, and understanding, which 
really doesn't always come across when you read verse 1 of Psalm 41, when you say, blessed is the king, the one who considers the poor. Now, you could easily read that and say, blessed is the one who cares for the poor, like gives money to those that don't have money or gives food to those who are hungry. Now, that certainly is in the umbrella of the word masculine, but that is not its precise meaning. So when you read Psalm 41, don't quickly think this is a song about poor people. Oh, the whole sermon is going to be about how we should give to the poor and that David is blessed because he gave generously to the poor. Friends, that is such a scratching the surface of Psalm 41 kind of reading. It's not inappropriate. It's not wrong. It's just not, I think, the point. To use the word masculine is to say, blessed is the one who considers and contemplates those who are poor. Poor is most often used to talk about those who are financially poor, but it is regularly used also to talk about those who are weak, who are helpless, and needy. Look at the way Psalm 40 ended, by the way. If you just turn your eyes from Psalm 41 back to Psalm 40, last verse, 17, David says, as for me... I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. The poor and the needy. That's who I think we're talking about here. And David suggests to us that this is a statement about what it means to have a blessed, contented, joy-filled, apart from any other circumstances kind of life, the thing you and I all want? Well, here's one of the answers. You know that you are that man or woman and that David is that kind of king if he contemplates. He gains wisdom and insight from looking at and studying and considering people who are poor. So how should you, how should David, how should the king of Israel think about the poor? Answer, a lot, deeply, with attention and attentiveness, with a genuine concern, with a sincere commitment to this study. Making the poor a priority in the kingdom that he is overseeing. Now why? Why would he want to do that? Because he knows that when he is merciful to the poor, considers their state, learns what it means to be poor, identifies himself with them, he too will be blessed and receive mercy. Look at what the scriptures say in verse 1 and following. This is Psalm 41, verse 1, second half of the verse. Blessed is the man who considers the ways of the poor. Why? Because in the day of trouble, the Lord will deliver that man. Not the poor man, the man who considers the poor. The Lord protects the king who considers the poor. He keeps that man alive, and he will be blessed in the land, and you will not give him over to the will of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. In his illness, you will restore him to full health. That's the reason why you should consider the poor, David. King David should consider the poor because he will receive mercy from God when he is poor, when he is sick. The poetic imagery of verse 3, by the way, is graphic, it is intense, and it is beautiful. Verse 3 says, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Graphic. What do you mean it's graphic? It's the word for menstruation. 
It's about the impurity of bleeding. It's a picture of a man lying on a bed, and because of his sickness, it's like he's got wounds that are bleeding and making him unclean like a woman who has menstrual uncleanliness. And then the word restored to him his full health and sustained him on his, chick, his, his, his bed is the word for changing one's sheets. C- can you imagine the word picture that the God who is infinite of all power would come and so make himself lowly that David has confidence to believe that if he is a man who cares for and considers the poor, he knows that God is the kind of God who, like a nurse, changes dirty sheets of a sick person. That's what his God is like. That's why he can have confidence that blessed is the one who considers the poor because he knows that the God of the Bible, that God, he cares about the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the stranger, and the poor. That's what this God is like. And David's confidence in that God is to know that he should learn by the state of the poor what he should think about the poor based on what God thinks about the poor. How blessed will be the one who reorients the value system of their life when they realize that the poor are prioritized in God's kingdom and economy. So blessed is that king. I think before we move on, we should apply this. I mean, how obvious should it be that you and I, we should realize that this is true for each one of us. Shouldn't we be like that king? Shouldn't we be that blessed one? Blessed is Phil Howell for the way that he cares for the poor. The story of the Bible is not just about a few kings. The story of the Bible actually begins on page one where God wanted all humans to rule as kings, as queens with him reflecting the image of God's rule. Really, that's the story of the whole Bible. The first page of the Bible tells us that image bearers are who God made on the sixth day of creation. Image bearers are humans who reflect the rule of the king, the sovereign king of the universe. By the way we take care of the world that he gives us, by the way we treat one another, oh, and especially how we treat the poor. So does this reflect you? Does this in any way Describe the way that you think about the world, that your care for the weak, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and those who are helpless. I thought of three things that we might, as general humans, and maybe for some of you, how we think about the poor. Number one, we look down on the poor and the weak, and we care much about and look up to the strong. Humans, in general, think about smart people, beautiful people, rich people as They're worthy of admiration. God and David says the exact opposite. Secondly, we are judgmental and we condemn those who are in a poor state, but we praise and pat on the back those who are rich and strong. Judgmental and condemning. Well, I know why they're such a poor person. Look at all those sins they've done. We quickly look down upon those who wear raggedy clothes, who don't drive nice cars. Friends, even if this doesn't describe you individually, this does describe humanity, doesn't it? Third, we ignore those who need our help. And we run to the people that we think can help us. We run. We put aside our schedules and we will make time for somebody that we think we can get benefit from. 
and those who need our help. We are like the priest who has more important things to do. And when there is a man lying on the street, we walk by and say, I got more important things to do. I got to go into the temple. And Jesus says that it is the Samaritan who sees that man and says, I will not ignore him. That's someone who loves a neighbor, who cares and considers the poor. I've just wondered as I've been thinking about Psalm 41, could you imagine what it would look like if we didn't look down on the weak, we didn't have a judgmental spirit toward the poor, and we did not quickly ignore those who were most needy to run to the stronger in the congregation, and this church took root, Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3. Like, we really believed that there was a priority toward considering, even just considering the state of the poor, as if it was like the topic of study for the next year of your life. Okay, instead of reading some book, I'm going to think about how God cares for the poor and therefore how my care for the poor would be a reflection of God's care. I just want you to imagine what a church community would look like. I want you to ponder that all week long and I want you to pray especially for those of you that care deeply about this church, that that would so typify a fruit of the Spirit in our congregation. When people are weak and needy, we do not quickly ignore them or condemn them or look down upon them. We have such compassion and empathy like God would. That's what I think verses 1 through 3 communicates to us and how it could apply to us. That God's king... He is merciful to the poor. And because of that mercy to the poor, we see in verses 4 to 12, the rest of the psalm, God's king will receive mercy for himself. I wonder if the whole reason this psalm is structured this way is that you should consider the needs of the poor because it might just be next week when you're that poor one. Or maybe that was last week. Or maybe that's next year. Blessed is the one who thinks deeply, considers, and contemplates much on the state of a poor person. Because sure enough, you might be that one. And that's exactly what happened to David. Verse 4 to 12, God's king receives mercy when he is poor. I mentioned verses 4 to 10 and 11 to 12. They're, they're kind of two separate parts. First, we, we realize that the king himself is poor, and everything that was described in verses 1 through 3 about the promises of the one who considers the poor is now being applied to David himself as he prays on his sickbed. What did we see in verses 1 to 3? It said that in his day of trouble, the Lord will deliver him. He will protect him and keep him alive. He will call him blessed in the land, and he will not be given up to the will of his enemies. Then you fast forward to verses 4 to 10, and you realize David is on his sickbed, his enemies are surrounding him, and he needs mercy. And so he cries out in verse 4, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. And then notice the enemies in verse 5, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? People come and visit him, the word see there is like they're coming to do a sick visit, like a hospital visit. So he has people coming to him in the hospital and they are uttering empty words. Oh, I hope you get better, David. Get well soon. Here's my little kind card and flowers. And then as soon as they walk out the door, it's as if David overhears through the door. It's cracked. They're around the corner. They're like, man, can't wait for that guy to die. When's he just going to die? 
It'd be nice if we had a new king. That's the description that David has of his state. He's sick, he's sinned, but he is being sinned against. He's lying on his sick bed. And really, verse 4 just says that he's sick and that he's sinned. Verses 5 to 10 spends most of the time talking about betrayal. And those that he thought that he loved, that he spent time with, the intimacy of sharing bread, that's verse 9. Notice the way he says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, whom I ate bread with. It's a phrase to just talk about the closeness of community and friendship and having each other in each other's homes and eating together. He said, even that person has lifted his heel against me, which is a poetic picture of somebody about to drop their boot down on someone's head. Even my best friend who I ate with year after year has got their boot ready to crush, crush my head. David's poor. Do you see that in verses 4 to 10? He, he is in need. He is helpless. He is surrounded by people who hate him and want him dead. Even his closest friends are ready to crush him. And he sinned. And it is in this state that he cries out to God. What should a king do in that kind of desperation? Pray to the Lord? Know and have confidence that the Lord will deliver him, as he says in verses 1 through 3. Knowing the character and goodness of God who prioritizes those who are his anointed king, he will preserve him, he will protect him. And so he prays, he cries out. David's not thinking, well, God's too busy for me. He's got other things to do. He's not afraid that God is going to ignore him. He is confident that God will be merciful. And sure enough, notice the way our psalm ends, verses 11 and 12. He knows the mercy that he will receive. By this, I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Psalm 41 could be summarized by saying God's king, when he is merciful to the poor, he will receive mercy even when he is poor. And that mercy will be his deliverance, his vindication, his salvation, his being raised from his sickbed and lifted up into the very presence of God himself. That's Psalm 41, verses 1 to 11, 12. And if this is true of David... I mean, how much more true is this of Jesus Christ? David says in verse 1, Blessed is the one who considers, who contemplates, gains wisdom, and, and values the poor. Is there any human that has ever walked this earth that so prioritized poor people over rich people? Uneducated fishermen over the elite scribes and teachers of the Bible. Jesus Christ had regard for the poor constantly. I feel like it would take days, if not weeks, for us to walk through every time in the Gospels Jesus stopped and paid attention to somebody who was needy. Days, weeks. We have four Gospel accounts that shows the priority that Jesus gives to the poor. And because of that menstruation word, it just reminded me of just one story. Do you remember when Jesus was walking in this big crowd of people and they all thought he was so important? 
They just wanted to get near him. But a woman who, who wouldn't stop bleeding for 12 years, looked at every kind of doctor that she could find and could not get the bleeding to stop. She touches him. She knows that Jesus is his only hope, and Jesus stops everything he's doing and gives attention to this unclean, overlooked, disgraced woman. Bleeding means she's unclean. Disgraced because of that uncleanliness means she would have been outside of society, and she's a woman, by the way. No offense to you, woman, women, but 2,000 years ago, in the first century, women did not have much respect, except in the eyes of Jesus. And that's not even to talk about tax collectors, a little girl who's sick and then dies. I'll stop everything I'm doing. I will go to her right now and I will take care of little Tabitha. Time and time again, Jesus considered the poor. In fact, I want to make this argument to you in light of Palm Sunday. Jesus was merciful to the poor all the way to the end of his life, even the very last week of his life, even Palm Sunday. In Luke's gospel, we have this series of events. First, Jesus asks for a donkey. And they bring him a donkey. And as he was drawing near the city of Jerusalem, a whole group of people started rejoicing and saying with a loud voice, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know what happens next after Jesus has all these people praising him as the king who enters into Jerusalem? According to Luke's gospel, the very next moment is Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem and weeping. The God of the Bible becomes a human and enfleshes the character of God's love and concern for people who are poor and weak and helpless. If you read Luke's account, you realize that Jesus is weeping because he knows it's just a matter of days and years before that whole city gets ruined for failure to obey him and heed his warning. He does not puff his chest and look down at those people and be like, you should have listened to me. He weeps. Do you have a God, a picture of a God in your mind who weeps over poor people? If not, your God is not the God of the Bible. This whole city is filled with poor people and Jesus looks and he stops and he weeps. Not convinced? Let's keep going in the story. What happens after Jesus weeps over the city? Where does he go next? On that last week of his life, before he dies on a cross, he walks right into the temple. He makes a beeline for the place where God was supposed to be worshipped by Jewish people. And instead of joining them in the worship, he condemns those for the way that they treat the poor. He turns over tables and says, you are taxing and abusing the system of sacrificial system when they come in and they're already tired and weary from a long journey and it's Passover and you're trying to get a little extra buck off of these people by turning my place of worship into a den of robbers and thieves. That's the next move Jesus makes. 
because he cares about the poor and the way they're being abused by the unjust systems of the religious hypocrisy that's running the temple. And then, if that were not enough, is the famous story of Jesus after he has a conversation with some scribes and Pharisees. And then at the middle of that conversation, he's talking to Sadducees, he's talking to Pharisees, they're all trying to say, hey, who do you think you are turning over these tables? And in Luke chapter 21 is the famous, famous story that most people, I think, miss. Then Jesus stops everything that's going on and in the middle of talking to all of them and after condemning the Pharisees for the way that they abuse orphans and widows, Look, do you see that woman? Do you see that widow who only has two coins to her name? She just put in all of her money into your corrupt system. Now, I'm paraphrasing because I don't believe Jesus is stopping and saying, wow, look how generous she is toward the kingdom. He just said right before this story, the scribes and Pharisees should not be followed. These men abuse poor people. Very next story, Luke 21, verse 1. Then he sees a widow who has all that she has and gives all of it to this corrupt system. And he is uh, angry, I believe. Astonished that they would let this kind of injustice go on. It's all she had. Instead of being generous and helping her, they're taken. This is the prosperity preacher on the internet. That's telling all of these people, if you give me your last little bits of money, I'm going to bless you. Do you realize that the most susceptible people to that are widows, old ladies, giving the last of their money to some lying preacher on a television screen? I think that's precisely what's happening in Jesus' day when he goes into that temple. He so cares about the poor. Do you get the point? Palm Sunday should teach you. And everything that happens from that point on, Jesus considers the poor. Are you convinced? If you're not, I've got one more. John 13, during a supper on that last week, a few days after Palm Sunday, A couple days after, Jesus turned over tables and declared that these men were unrighteous, unjust rulers over the people of Israel. He has a meal in the upper room with his disciples. And as Ryan just read for us, he gets down on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. So they would know forever and ever that their king is a king who humbles himself in the lowliest of positions and washes the dirt and filth off of the feet of these men, even the very man who is about to betray him. He knew. Read John 13 again. When Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, it is very clear that he knows that Judas is one of those disciples. And Judas is about to betray him. And as Ryan read for us, I'll read it to you one more time. He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, you, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, then blessed are you who do them. Blessed if we take on the posture of Jesus and wash each other's feet. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. 
And then he goes on and says, I'm not speaking about all of you, but I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. Then he quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus just washed the feet of Judas. And in the very next breath, he says, Judas has his foot up and he's ready to stomp my neck with it. And I still wash his feet anyway. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And when God's king so cares for the poor the way Jesus does, what does the father do in response? Shows mercy when Jesus Christ himself becomes a poor king like David. Delivers him, preserves him, saves him, and rescues him from his enemies. Or just take verses 11 and 12. By this, you know, if you're the king over all of the people of Israel, you know that the Father is delighting in you, Jesus. And the enemies that are about to stomp your head, they will not shout and triumph over me. Even when you hang naked on a cross, you will uphold Jesus Christ because he was righteous and had integrity to the very end and therefore he would be set in the presence of God forever and ever. Jesus Christ who was rich beyond all rich left the throne of heaven and became poor so that you and I could become rich. He was born in a state of poverty. He knows poverty like you and I could never even think of. He lived as a poor man from the very moment he breathed his first breath on this earth. He had no place to lay his head from that point forward. He didn't have a home as he was an adult man. He was a wandering, poor, homeless man. He was treated like a poor man, like a helpless, weak, know-nothing. Even his very best friends turned his back on him when he needed him the most. The one difference between Jesus and the, the poor man of Psalm 41 is unlike David, Jesus never, ever sinned. In his poverty and in his weakness, he maintained his faith and trust in the God who would be righteously upholding him and raise him so that when he would be beaten and have his clothes ripped off of his back and have absolutely nothing to his name, when he became so physically weak that he couldn't even carry his cross anymore, when he was laid down in a sick bed, not just a sick bed of being sick, and needing his linens changed. But when he was laid in the bed of the tomb and covered over with cloth because he was dead, in that state of poverty, can you get any lower than that? God raised him from the dead. Isn't that what verse 10 says? But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. David wants vengeance. Jesus wants forgiveness. Oh, how much greater is the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus was raised so that you would not be repaid for the sins that you've committed against God's king, but so that you could be forgiven for them. And that is why he ascended into heaven in verse 12 and set Jesus Christ, God's king, into the presence of heaven forever and ever so that you and I have access to forgiveness of sins every day, no matter where you are, no matter what happened. There he is, right now, forever, interceding for us. John, 1 John 2, 1. Oh, my brothers and sisters, if you have sinned, take confidence and hope that we have an advocate in the heaven, Jesus the righteous, the one of perfect integrity that deserved, because of the mercy he showed to the poor, to be shown mercy in his time of need. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So I ask each and every one of you, is that your king? Or do you look at Jesus and think, whew, that's pitiful. I want a strong king. I want one with a crown, not of thorns, but of gold and jewels in it. If Jesus is your king, then you must realize how humble he became and how low he had to go to save people that are so poor like us. If Jesus is your king, then identify with his poverty and realize how bankrupt you are. Bankrupt. Negative. In debt. I don't care how good your heart is. You need a king who would go to the depths that Jesus did to rescue you from the pit that you are in and raise you into the heavens with him seated at the right hand of the Father. That's your only hope. So make Jesus Christ your king. And this Easter week, remember that the passion of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried into the grave and risen from the dead declares to us that there's a different kind of ruler. And no matter how much everybody else in the world wants to run after the rich and successful and the beautiful, you know that your king became king by his ugliness, his poverty, and his weakness. And may that truth so reorient everything about the way you view this church, your own life, and the world around you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come now in Jesus' name because we can have confidence to approach your throne of grace and find help in our time of need. We first and foremost want to confess that we are needy. Some of us in this room need to be convinced that they are needy, no matter how much money they currently have in their bank account, no matter what car they are driving in the parking lot, I pray that they would realize how much they fall short of the righteous standard of your law and therefore are in desperate, desperate need of your grace and mercy. So Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would pour out upon each and every one of us our knowledge of our weakness and our confidence in the way that you care for weak people. In addition to that, Lord, we want to pray that this psalm, Psalm 41, would take root in the heart and lives of the members of Embassy Church and the culture of our church would be continually conformed to the pattern of your word. And therefore, we would realize that the most blessed way to live is a way where we consider the needs of the poor around us and in our congregation. Oh God, we pray that you would protect us from the quick knee-jerk reaction of condemning those who are in a state of weakness. Oh Lord, we pray that we would have confidence in how tender you care for those who are on their sickbed and need their sheets changed. You're the God who is willing to stoop the knee and wash our feet. Oh Lord, I pray that these images of Christ riding in on a donkey and not a war horse to conquer, but to be conquered, would so sear our minds and shape our hearts and make us new people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, I pray, I desperately pray that this will bear such fruit that we could never even dream or imagine that your word would so accomplish these purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.